I read a study not too long ago that said that for most people, their number one fear is public speaking. But the number two fear is dying. Which means, if this is true, that for the average person, at a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. So for most people, their number one fear is doing this, what, what, what I'm doing right now. But beyond that, their top fear is death, dying. It's the thing people wrestle with, they wonder about, they have a ton of questions in reference to. Of course they do. And that's why we're doing this series. Uh, in this series, we're, we're taking a look at the questions and the concerns, the worries that we have about this thing called death, and we're applying the promises of Scripture, the truths that have been re revealed to people of faith in the Christian Scriptures, we're applying them to, to the worries, the concerns, the questions that we have about death. And last week, we started by talking about that actual moment when a person passes. What does the Scripture say about the actual moment of death for a person of faith? And now today, we continue the conversation by talking about what happens immediately after you pass away. What happens in that moment where, as Christians like to say, we, we go to heaven, so to speak. And I have one favor to ask of you as we start this conversation this morning, and that, that favor is this, that, that you might be willing to take whatever preconceived notions you have about what happens next about this thing called heaven and set them aside for the next few moments and be open instead to what the scriptures plainly tell us about this moment. Because my, my sense is that if you're willing to do that, just set aside whatever preconceived notions you have, and we all have kind of our, our own home-brewed view of heaven, just set that aside and let the scriptures speak to us. Because I think that if you're willing to kind of make that trade, you will walk away with something more comforting than what you walked in with. Now, if you ask 10 different people what happens when you die, you're likely to get 10 different answers. And even among people of faith who grew up going to Sunday school and reading the Bible, they often have different nuances and different takes on what happens after we die. Uh, a few years ago, I was, I was at a conference, and I was seated at a table for lunch with a bunch of other people, about 10 of us at this table. And it just so happened that at this table was the CEO of the largest Christian publishing company in the world. And he was very proud to announce to the entire table that we should all go buy a copy of the book Heaven is for Real, because his company had just released it. And he told us at the table, he said, what this kid learned about heaven is amazing. Did you know that in heaven, no one wears glasses? Which immediately brought to mind two thoughts to me. Number one, I'm going to need to check your chapter and verse on that. And number two, what if, what if you really like the way you look with glasses? What if it like kind of rounds out and balances your otherwise round face? Asking for a friend. Painting in broad strokes, here's what the Christian faith says about death. Mainly three things. That we die, and then we rest, and then we rise. That, that's the Christian theology of death and eternity all in one sentence. We, we die, and then we rest with God, and then we rise. At that moment of death, the body goes to the ground, and there's a separation from body and soul. The body goes to the ground, and then the soul goes to rest with the Lord until the day when Christ comes back and he resurrects every body and reconnects it with every soul. And I'm not making this up. This comes to us from the scriptures in a ton of different places. So, for example, 
Old Testament, book of Ecclesiastes, says this. And the dust, that's a reference to the body, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to who? To God. The spirit returns to God who gave it. But then remember, one day, though there's the separation of body and soul, one day there will be a resurrection of all flesh, and every body is reconnected with every soul. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised to glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. So one day, Christ comes back and everybody is resurrected and recreated and reconnected with every soul that's been in waiting, either waiting with the Lord or waiting apart from the Lord. And then we will spend an, a physical eternity either continuing with the Lord or continuing apart from the Lord. When Christ comes back, we're resurrected, reconnected, and we either have a physical eternity with him, that's very good, or a physical eternal reality apart from him. That's very bad. But in between the dying and the resurrecting and the recreating, there is this resting. There is this resting moment, either with the Lord or apart from the Lord. And this is the moment, this is the thing that most of us are concerned with because, because we know that when we die, this is what happens to us. We, we go to that resting with the Lord, that heavenly rest. If you've lost someone that you love, this concerns you because this is where they are. This is what grandma's going through right now. So this is what everybody has questions about. We die, and in the end we rise, but in between we rest with the Lord. What in the world is that like? Now, before I try to answer that question, let me just put a spotlight on, on how different the Christian view of death and eternity is from every other worldview that's offered. This notion that we die, we rest, and then we rise, and all things are recreated. Every other worldview could be, could be dropped into one of three buckets when it comes to death, dying, and eternity. Uh, there, there's one view that says there is nothing but permanent annihilation, which is about as fun as it sounds. Meaning that there are a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of, of, of theologies even, that say, look, when we die, it's just lights out, we're done, there's nothing else. There's no consciousness, no awareness, there's no nothing, it's just lights out, done, it's annihilation. And, and then there's a, there's a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of theologies that, that teach that there is this permanent spirit existence. There's no such thing as, as resurrection or reunion. The, the, the flesh is just kind of done. And when you die, there is this forever reality where you are just a spirit. That's taught in many what we would call maybe New Age philosophies, right? And then there's this whole school of thought that says there is a perpetual reincarnation. That physical existence gets repeated over and over and over again, only broken if you come to a higher level of awareness as is taught in Hinduism or if you're able to convince Andy McDowell to love you as is taught in Groundhog Day. But, but the Christian faith has, has historically re rejected all three of these views of death, dying, and eternity. We reject the idea that the lights just go out. We reject the idea that it's only a spiritual existence, never a recreation of our flesh and blood existence. We, re we reject the idea that there's do-over after do-over in the physical body. We reject all those things. What we believe is that there is death, there is resurrection, and in between, there is waiting with the Lord. Now, 
What do we know about this waiting with the Lord that we often refer to as heaven? Well, the scriptures don't give us a ton, but they give us enough. For example, the first thing that I would say is the scriptures make it clear that this, this heavenly rest is an actual place. That, that may sound obvious to you, but, but that's not common in other worldviews and other theologies. In other worldviews that, that believe in heaven, uh, they might think of it as a, another plane of awareness, as is taught in Buddhism. Or, like in Greek mythology, it was commonplace that, that though they had this complex mythology, they had a belief in heaven, it wasn't actually a belief, they all kind of collectively understood that no one actually believed it, it just helped them make sense of life. Not the case here. What, what Christians believe is that this heavenly rest happens in an actual place. The scriptures teach us that God is, and heaven is, that there is a place where God is reigning and ruling and those who have passed away are resting with him in his presence. So, so heaven is in the same way that, that Finland is a place right now where people are getting ready to have dinner. And Japan is a place right now where people are getting ready for bed. And Canada is a place where right now every single person is skiing. Heaven is an actual place where, where God is, where Christ is reigning and ruling, and where all those who passed in faith are with him, resting with him. Actually, if you think about it, Canada is a really good analogy for heaven because it's just up there somewhere. There are far less people there than you think. <laughs> it's bright white because of snow. And, and it's easy to forget about. <laughs> It's easy to forget about talking heaven, not Canada. It's easy to forget about because God has hidden it from us. It's, it's there, but it's hidden from us. Probably because we'd be so distracted by it all the time, right? But there are moments where he gives us the gift of having a glimpse into it. So if you were with us last week, you know that we talked about the death of Stephen. And Stephen was given that gift where like the heavens appeared, like the veil was lifted, and he was able to see the reality of heaven that is really truly all around us at all times, but, but, but we can't really see it because God veils, puts a veil in front of our eyes. The veil was lifted and he was able to see God in the heavens, the Father there and Jesus Christ there, and he was able to see himself being received into that reality. As his body was pummeled and beaten and killed, his spirit was received into this otherwise unseen reality. It's a beautiful, a terrible, but beautiful moment. Let me just go there for just a second. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, Jesus, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So, so this is an obvious point, but an important reminder that this heavenly rest happens in a real place, where right now the Father is present in fullness. Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling, and all those who've passed on, baptized, believing in faith in Christ are resting with him. It's an actual place. But the second thing we know from the scriptures is that our arrival into our place of heavenly rest is immediate. Once we die, we either go to a place of rest apart from God, again, not ideal, or we go to a place of rest with God. That's what you want. And, and we know that this is immediate from a number of places in the scriptures, but primarily, honestly, from Jesus himself. 
who when he's dying on the cross, there's, there's this criminal on one side of him. There's actually a criminal on either side of him. One wants nothing to do with Jesus. The other is thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the, the son of God, God in flesh by all that he's seen happen. And he confesses faith in Christ. And in their final moments together, both Jesus and this man are dying. He, he asks Jesus to, to let him into this kingdom. It's another way of saying like, wherever, whatever happens after this, can I be with you? Listen to this exchange. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Uh, There there are some in the Christian tradition who at times have, have wrongly taught about something called purgatory. Maybe you've heard about it. It's this belief that, that when people die, they go to wait, but they go to wait apart from the presence of Jesus. Kind of like this holding area. Think of the super long line outside the DMV or the DPS when you go to get your, your license renewed. You're like, you're there, but you're not in the building. That, that's what purgatory is. Although it's not really a thing. There's no indication that there's some kind of holding tank for believers where if you wait well and you wait long enough, you make progress in the line and eventually you get into God's presence. There are others who believe in something called the doctrine of soul sleep, where they take the words of of, of Paul and, and Peter and others in the New Testament way too literally and they believe that once we die, we enter into a place of of. Of, of sleep where we are completely disconnected from reality and there is no awareness of where we are, that we are purely passively sleeping and that there's no awareness at all that we're in God's presence or that we've passed away. Uh, we have no indication that that's true in the scriptures. Historic Christianity has rejected both of those ideas. Instead, what we believe is what Jesus said. When, when the when criminal said, hey, can I be with you someday? That's what he's implying. Someday, can I be with you when this is all done? Jesus didn't say, hey, after you've hung out for a while, or after you've filled out some paperwork, or after you've kind of proved that you really, 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 really want to be with me in paradise, someday you can't. What did Jesus say? He said, oh, man, not someday, today. Like moments from now, when you and I both die, with me. Paradise. Immediate. And the same is true for your loved one whom you lost. The same will be true for you when you pass away. Those who, like the thief on the cross, have faith in the one crucified. At the moment of our passing, Jesus looks at us like he looked at Stephen. And he said, come. He looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you are with me. Today. Now. I don't know about you, but for me, that's very comforting. Now, the next question that people have is, well, okay, well, well, if it's a real place, kind of understood that. If it's immediate, that, I, that I'm with Jesus in this kind of heavenly rest, and I'm, I'm not just like sleeping and passed out and don't know what's going on, but I'm aware and active of what's going on, that I'm with him and I'm resting with him, well, then like, what's, what's it like? Like, what do we do? Will there be activities? Well, what kind of food will be available? Is there going to be a good spread? Like, I really, I'm big into charcuterie boards, like maybe one of those all over the place. Like, like what will we do in this heavenly rest? It reminds me of what my kids ask me every single Saturday morning. 
every single Saturday morning without fail. They, they walk up to me at some point, way too early, and say, what are we going to do today? You've got the same kids I do. What are we going to do today? And I give them the same response. I look at them and say, sweetheart, you know the answer. Whatever your mom wants. That's how this thing works. At some point, you'll figure it out. Now, let, let me tell you with as much detail as I can about what actually what actually happens in this heavenly rest, like what it is like. As much detail as the scriptures will allow me to give to you. Here you go. Here it is. I have no idea. The scriptures don't really give us an itinerary. It doesn't paint a picture of what life is like in waiting either with the Lord or waiting without the Lord. Because remember, there's, there's two realities. There's kind of Hades, or what we might often call hell, which is waiting apart from the Lord. And then there's waiting with him, what we often refer to as heaven. It doesn't tell us an itinerary of what happens there. What it, what it tells us, though, what it tells us is, is what we feel there, which I think might be better. It tells us what we, what we feel there. So, so for example, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells this, this parable about the faithful and the unfaithful servant. And it's meant to teach us a, a number of things. But one of the things it's meant to do is give us a glimpse of how Jesus views life after death. And so take note of what Jesus says to the faithful servant. He says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master, O faithful one. And for us, we know that being faithful is not being a good person. It's having faith in the right person, Jesus Christ. And to the other unfaithful servant, he says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, not a verse you want to put on a Christmas card. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is is a first century idiom or, or phrase, Hebrew phrase, that, that means deep, deep regret. You know how sometimes when you're like, oh, I should have done that differently, and you kind of grit your teeth and you go, oh, man. Like when I, when I was growing up, my dad used to play the lottery quite a bit. And there was this time, at least how I remember it, there was this time where, where on one Thursday night when the, when the pick four came out, my dad didn't play his numbers, but his numbers came up. And he always played some combination of our birthdays. And what I remember is waking up the next morning and there was, there was a hole in the wall. And asking about it and my mom saying, well, your dad's numbers came up. Oh, really? Yeah, but he didn't play. Or, or when you say something to your spouse and as you say it, like you can like see the words coming out of your mouth and you can predict how it's going to be received. And you're like, oh, I need that back. I need that back. And then once they hear it and they respond to it, you're like, oh, I I should not have said that. I should not have said that. It's that deep feeling of regret where you're like, oh, I wish, oh, I wish I could do this differently. Gnashing of teeth. Take that feeling, amplify it to 11, extend it out for eternity, and that, Jesus is saying, that's hell. Now, on the flip side... Heaven is what he calls the joy of being with the master, the joy of your master, the joy of being in your master's presence. Uh, you could also say that it's about deep satisfaction, complete and total contentment. But, but here's the thing to take note of. It, it's joy, contentment, satisfaction that doesn't come from doing something. It comes from being with someone. 
And that's harder for us to grasp because you and I are used to, to finding satisfaction, joy, and contentment from having the right activities to distract us. And it starts when we're young, when our mom and dad are handing us Cheerios, they're handing us an iPad, and then later on we're just adults with fancier cereal and more electronics, and we're constantly trying to stay entertained so that we can have joy. This is not that. Jesus is talking about a satisfaction, a joy, a contentment that doesn't come from doing anything, it comes from being with someone, being with the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you completely in their unvarnished, holy presence shining upon you. And because you're in their presence, all is well in your heart, your mind, your whole world. I think the closest thing that I've ever come to this feeling is, is when, I, when I held my firstborn for the first time. I remember bringing her home from the hospital and just sitting on the couch, holding her in my arms, thinking two things. They gave me no instructions. And... I could sit right here forever. Forever. I'm full. Fine. I'm good. Or sitting on the couch with my spouse. And there's some moments where you're, just, you're shoulder to shoulder and you're not watching anything in particular. You're just with each other and it's like, man, I could, if I could just freeze time and hold it here forever. I'm not doing anything. I'm just with the right person. I could be here forever. I feel like that's, like that's the fringes of the joy of being in the presence of God. Just the fringes. It's a glimpse. It's a glimmer of what the joy of being in the presence of God will ultimately be like for us. It's hard to describe, but it is a satisfaction and a completeness that comes from being with him, which is why when people ask me, and I understand why they ask it, but when people ask me after someone has passed away, they, they'll ask me, Pastor, can, can they see us down here? Can they, can, they, can they see what's happening? Do they know what's happening here? And, and my response is, is usually this, I, I don't know. I, I don't think so, but I don't know for sure. But I think the greater question is, why would they want to? Why would they want to? I mean, if you're in the unvarnished presence of God and it's completely um, satisfying to you, why would you care about what I'm doing down here on a Tuesday afternoon? Like, if you choose to focus on me while you're in the presence of God, that's like choosing spam over steak, Kool-Aid over fine wine, like soccer over sports. Like, you know, it's just not, <laughs> not a smart trade. This is a tough thing for us to wrap our minds around, but the person that has passed away is either preoccupied with their regret or they are overwhelmed with satisfaction. Both of which are bigger and better than what we're doing down here. That's what we know. Now, now these truths... These few things we know about what happens the moment after we die, that it's an actual place, that it's immediate, and that there's a contentment that comes from being with the Lord, it's not meant to be something that we put on a shelf and only pull out when, when there's a death in the family. It's meant to be a, a truth, a, a promise, a picture that gives comfort to us today, every day while we live, and gives us strength and keeps us going as we live. This promise of, of, a, of a rest that is in front of us that will be deeply satisfying is meant to pull us through the difficult days today. 
One of the best books I've ever read, maybe you've read it, it's, it's called Unbreakable. It's a story of a man named Louis Zamperini, who was a, a POW in World War II. It's the most amazing story. A movie's been made out of it. He, he spent like 47 days floating at sea without food after his plane was shot down. And then he was captured by the Japanese and he was horrifically abused in, in the prisoner camp. But all throughout it, he, he, he talks about how what carried him through, floating on the water for 47 days, or being abused and dealing with dysentery in the POW camps, what kept him through was this belief, this hope, that at the end, there would be this, this rest in the arms of, of his girl. There would be a reunion with his mom and her home cooking. There would be a chance to, to hug his father, and that he would be able to sit and bask in the presence of those three people that he so dearly missed. And that was what carried him through and kept him going. It was this moment of rest and satisfaction that he was longing for that gave him strength in the difficult days. And that, in a small way, is what, what the hope of eternity and what happens after we die is meant to be for the follower of Jesus Christ. It's meant to be this, this, this rest that is coming to us that is worth longing for. Not that you give up on life. No, be a good steward of it. Make the most of it. Be faithful with it. Enjoy every second of it. It is a gift. But on the difficult days when you feel shipwrecked or out to sea or, or lost, forgotten, abused, know that there is a moment coming in the future, in the future where you will be so deeply satisfied that even the worst of what happens today will be just a glimmer in the past. And that's what Paul talks about. Look at this. Paul, who was shipwrecked twice, who was beaten and abused for what he, what he believed, who was imprisoned for what he believed. Listen to what he says. Though all these terrible things happen, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. He's not making light of the terrible things he's been through or that you go through. He's talking about in the context of eternity, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. On the days where it's tough, it's okay for you to long for rest. On the days where you feel wrecked, it's okay for you to have your heart anchored in the promise of home. On the days where you are tired and it's been enough, it's been enough, it's okay for you to say, to say to yourself, I can keep going today because I know that something, something that will make this feel so small is waiting for me, guaranteed for me, going to be experienced by me tomorrow. This is a rest worth longing for that pulls you through today. Rest is coming. You can keep going. The scriptures don't give us a ton of detail about what happens after we die, but, but the temptation is in the absence of the detail we'd like, we, we create our own kind of home-brewed theology of heaven. My encouragement is that you would resist that urge and that you would hold on to what we do know and that you would, you would trust that what we do know is enough. 
that at the moment of your passing, you will go to a very real place in the presence of God and you will be fully aware of it. And you'll be overwhelmed with contentment, with peace, with joy. And you'll be saying to yourself, it can't get any better than this. And then Jesus will look at you and go, oh, but it can. We haven't even resurrected yet. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise secured for us in Jesus Christ that though we die, we live. We live resting with you. And then when your son returns, we live resurrected, restored, completely perfected, eternally with you. Father, May this, this promise give those who are grieving the loss of someone they love peace. May, may it give to those who are dealing with a life that's difficult to endure strength. Knowing that there is rest on the other side waiting for us that will make even the worst of days here seem small. Father, we... We pray that you would help us to live with joy and with peace in the week ahead. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.